Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Magnolia Beef and Seminary has top quality beef products that are raised right here in Mississippi. They also have fantastic gifts for every age. For the best beef in Mississippi and so much more, visit Magnolia Beef and Seminary or find us on Facebook. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Hope you're having a great day. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. Uh, hope you're having a sort of a great holiday season as we as we barrel toward Christmas. And as I've said so many times on my show, uh, you know, leading up to today, always keep local merchants in mind. You know, when you spend your money locally, you're making a you're literally casting a vote for the kind of communities you want. And Coastal Mississippi's is a collection of amazing communities, each with its own special sense of place. And usually, it's a small business. Uh, and the merchants in a community that are helping to create that wonderful sense of place. So keep that in mind. 80, 80 uh, cents on every dollar you spend locally stays in the local community. And it's those uh, local merchants who are working so hard to to, uh, to to work in the community with things like the homeless community, or they're the ones who are sponsoring the, the, the soccer teams and the softball teams. You know the story. Great time to be reminded of that. And I've tried to be focused on that as we go forward. Listen, if you look around, uh, one of the most substantial things that happened after Hurricane Katrina was the work that we did with infrastructure. The infrastructure of Coastal Mississippi was, you know, annihilated. <laughs> Highway 90 had big issues. Our bridges had to be rebuilt. And you look back on it, and I think all of us got a great education in democracy. You know, how, how do we want to rebuild these things? We had lots of conversations about that. What kind of bridges do we want? Lots of really dynamic conversations about that. But now we look back and you see these incredible bridges over Bay St. Louis so from Biloxi to Ocean Springs. And you see, you know, Beach Boulevard. And you think about the role that the Mississippi Department of Transportation played in helping Coastal Mississippi come back. It is, it is no less than dramatic, absolutely dramatic. And I'm really pleased today to have the, the, the uh, director, the executive director of uh, what we call MDOT, the Mississippi Department of Transportation, Brad White, to join me today. We're going to talk a little bit about MDOT for sure, but I really want to talk about Brad and where he came from. You're going to be surprised at the incredible leaders he's had the opportunity to work with and learn from during his career. But without any further ado, let me just say, uh, welcome to Coast View, my friend. Thank you, Ricky. I appreciate you having me. Good. I, listen, uh, for people who are listening on the radio, of course, people who are watching on Facebook or YouTube see this, but I see that beautiful tree in the background. It's a great time of the year, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it sure is. So what, uh, so what, what, tell me about um, the Brad White family during Christmas. <laughs> well, we're kind of spread out, but it's always a, a good time. We don't get to see one another as much as we'd like through the year, like a lot of families. Uh, so it's an opportunity that we start uh, early in several days getting together with my father and his brothers and cousins and stuff, my mother and my sisters and stepsisters and everybody. So we, we have a rather large family. So it's a good opportunity for everybody to get to spend some time with one another and catch up on lost time from the rest of the year. Yeah. That, that, isn't that true? And a great time to reflect about how lucky we ha- are to have such a wonderful you know, family and so many wonderful family members and friends around us. It's a great time to, to reflect on that. 
Uh, listen, um, we're going to talk a lot about MDOT as we get toward the end of the show, but uh, we're going to reflect a little bit about your leadership and where you came from. But you were saying something to me before we started the show about just how many roads and highways and bridges MDOT is responsible for. And give that metric that you described to me yeah. before we started the show. We, uh, the taxpayers of Mississippi, have an investment of $65 billion dollars worth of infrastructure around the state. And if you took all of the lane miles that we're responsible for and laid them end to end, you could go completely around the planet once and still have enough roadway to build a highway from Jackson, Mississippi to Honolulu, Hawaii. So wow. we have quite a bit of responsibility. And that's before you get into the $6 billion list of identified needs and enhancements that are needed around the state uh, to add to that. So Yeah, a lot of people actually of think a lot of people think that when the infrastructure, the trillion-dollar-plus infrastructure bill was passed, that that was immediately going to address all of our needs. And, boy, that couldn't be further from the truth. And we'll explain why that is here in just a minute. But for now, what I want to do, I want to shift gears. Brad, where did, talk about where you grew up. I grew up in a little community called Jupiter, Mississippi. It's about three miles outside of Delo. So you're kind of out in the woods when you're a <laughs> suburb of Delo. Uh, but a local church there was the center focus of the community. It was a community my great-great-grandparents uh, moved to and lived in. My great-grandfather grew up there, my grandparents, my mother. Uh, and, and that was pretty normal for all the families there that went back generations. So in a lot of ways, that community was like other small communities around the state. Everybody there, whether you were related or not, you were still like a big family because you had shared one another's ups and downs and hardships and triumphs and, and all of that. So it was a really good place to grow up and, and to just to, to live and to run and rip and be a, a young boy, you know, in the country where you could go down on the creek and do all the kind of things that, you know, sometimes I, I, I feel for my nieces and nephews that are a little closer into the city. Uh, so it was a good place to grow up and a good place to to be influenced by folks that taught Sunday school and and just a lot of good memories from that. Did you hunt and fish? I did, yeah. yeah. We grew up doing that. Of course, we had hunting dogs, so I never had the patience to sit in a deer stand like you. I think I would probably enjoy it more now, but growing up, I didn't like to be still. So we had dogs that we would turn loose and run the deer by us, you know, so it was kind of a lazy man sport in a way. But uh, <laughs> we grew up in, enjoying ourselves doing that, squirrel hunting, a little bit of everything. So. Yeah, I, I didn't like to sit still either. Uh, in fact, in fifth grade in the school newspaper, one of my teachers wrote in the school newspaper, that Ricky Matthews is Mr. Fidgets. <laughs> so, I'm positive that I had attention deficit disorder. I'm yeah, positive. I think I did too. I think I did too. <laughs> and I learned it, you know, as an adult to sort of bring it all into focus. But the, but it's interesting that that characteristic in me though made me, I think, a better CEO because over the, over the years it, it gave me the ability to move from one topic to the next pretty rapidly and be able to compartmentalize and all the things that you do. But, uh, yeah, an interesting time for me, for sure. My, my grandfather used to tell me, Bubba, you're not going to catch anything if you don't leave the hook in the water. How many times did he tell you that? Huh? Yeah, I heard that quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> quite you know, I have on my show, Super Talk Outdoors, you know, we talk about this part of the conversation all the time, that this heritage in Mississippi and the way, you know, this love of the outdoors and that it's not about the catching the fish 
are shooting the deer. It's really about this incredible opportunity to get out into the outdoors and find yourself. And we learn it from, you know, a lot of people learn it from their fathers and their grandfathers, some from their mothers and grandmothers. Uh, some don't get it till a little bit later in, in age. I've, I've said on my show before, but when they get it, then they start to pass it down to their kids and their kids' kids. But that's a wonderful part of Mississippi's heritage, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's a, it's a, a part of our culture, you know, is enjoying, you know, all of God's beauty and nature and, and and some of the best times that I remember having with my grandfathers were spent hunting and fishing and, and doing things like that. And just like you said, I don't remember what we caught or what we may have uh, been able to harvest, but I do remember our conversations and the visits and a lot of the stories that I have now are from um, small instances like that. You know. The, the, yeah, it was in- interesting the way you talked about the influence that growing up in your church, which was the center of community, center of your community when you were growing up, the opportunity to learn from elders. You know, the the process of the structure of you know learning about morality and ethics and all the things that you learn to say, you know, outdoors is kind of like that too, that you're, you, you said you remember the conversation. You don't necessarily remember the fish, but it is a, it is a great opportunity to be able to go out and learn about life. And I say about my sons all the time and we're off offshore in the boat, you know, when we go offshore and we might be in the boat eight or 10 hours together. And that's been, their whole life has been like that where they can't, they can't get to the TV. Cause we don't, you know, even if they had, smartphones during those days there's no there's no wi-fi offshore well actually there used to not be there is now unfortunately but but the fact is you know this time that you get together and you learn about staying safe you learn about you know especially when you're hunting or fishing offshore you make one mistake and it could be your last mistake and teaching that at an early age um it teaches you you, you learn a lot don't you when you're in the woods the level of responsibility that you learn and and uh and trust of one another and it, it was, it was well, who you know, it's interesting because you, I can hear you have a big family, a lot of influence from lots of different people, very active in your church. I note that you're still incredibly active in the First Baptist Church that you're a member of today. What's uh, what's interesting is I bet it's hard for you to zero in on who who was the most influential in your life as you were growing up. But if you had to, if you had to say, who would it be? There were a lot of people. I, I think my my two grandfathers were big influences, more so than what I thought. Uh, I, it seems like the older I get, the more I see aspects of their personality and things that, that, that come out in me, you know, that maybe I didn't realize before because they were very uh, um, larger than life, in control. The, the uh, You understood that they were the head of the family sort of thing. And uh, my mother's father was very active in our church and was a deacon there, was a leader there. So it just, uh, you know, looking back, I learned a lot about leadership and, and just being a man from them in ways that I don't, that I don't think I realized at the time. You know, if you were to have asked me the same question, I would have actually also said, I got a lot from my dad, but I got a lot from my grandfathers. Um, my God, I spent so much time with them. And um, I wish I could see them today. I'm sure they're my guardian angels looking over my shoulder and they're proud. But the reality is they did influence me in a, in greatly. Hey, we're having a conversation with the executive director for the Mississippi Department of Transportation, Brad White. We're really kind of getting the story behind the man. When we come back after this break, we'll just continue the conversation. We'll see you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have Brad White, the executive director for MDOT, uh, with me today. And we're going to talk a little bit about MDOT in a second, but we're really wanting to understand a little bit more about Brad, getting to know him better. And it is interesting to see that, you you know, growing up in a small community, being active in your church, spending time in the outdoors, having a big family, all these influences. And it's great to hear that your grandfather's had a big impact on you as you were growing up. And um, I think, you know, I, I certainly said that as well, but I've, probably a lot of people say the same thing. Sure. It's uh, when you have the opportunity to have access to the the uh, the the real mentors, those with wisdom in your in your family, it it has a way of having a great impact, especially in your case with one of them being a deacon in your church. And again, I see that you have continued to be very active in your church, and that you have continued to take leadership roles in much the same way they had leadership roles. So that's all interesting to see. Was uh, was education always important to you uh, early in your life? I don't think I was a particularly good student, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, I, I, we had mentioned this earlier. I think I probably had some type of attention deficit disorder. I didn't stay in my seat a lot. Subjects that I was interested in, like history and things like that, I excelled in. And those that I didn't care for, I, you could tell it in my grades, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was important. It was the one thing I had to drop out of college my senior year and I'll go to work. And I was always kind of embarrassed by that. Uh, and I would kind of, uh, it was the only thing in my life I'd ever quit. And mm-hmm. I actually came to work at MDOT for Commissioner Dick Hall then as his assistant when Governor Fordyce had appointed him commissioner. And, uh, and he really pushed me to go back to school. So I went back to Belhaven at night, uh, worked at MDOT during the day. I went to Belhaven at night, completed my degree in business management. And uh, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm proud of because it had been the one thing that I quit and uh, went back and, and started over. Well, I mean, this is interesting because, you know, I, I can relate to everything you just said. <laughs> but some of us, you know, we discover ourselves a little later in life. And we have these mentors that, like Dick Hall was for you, that can help kind of set the course. And once you once you set that course, there was no looking back. It did actually create create sort of a foundation for you. To um, to really begin to say, okay, I get I get this, and I've got a real opportunity now to pursue the things I love in my life. Yeah, that must have been some great advice he gave you. Yeah, well, you know, politics was always our family was very political and local politics in Simpson County, and uh, my great uncle had a college roommate who was very close to our whole family, and he managed the funeral home actually in Simpson County, and he was a Republican. And he was a Republican mayor back in the late 50s and the 70s. Uh, so he was a Republican when there were very few around the state. And uh, Mr. Ray Layton was his name. And he's actually who plugged me into politics and got me involved at a very young age when I was 14. Uh, he and his wife never had any children. And so he kind of took me under his wing, was very good to me. And uh, that's how I got started uh, in politics, specifically Republican Party politics, was all because of Ray Layton and the friendship that he had forged with Kirk Fordyce back in the 60s uh, when they both were active in Republican Party politics. And when you when you look back at it, did you ever in your wildest imagination think that you would go on the rides you went on? No, I didn't. 
Um, I've been very blessed. You know, I, I, I think I'm proof that the Lord takes care of fools and babies. You know, I mean, I, I, <laughs> uh, when I look backward, there's no way that, that, that anybody could say that I've been able to do the things that, that I've been able to do without the hand of Providence guiding that. Uh, and I've been very blessed to, to get to have the opportunities that I've had and to, to be able to work for the people that I've been able to work for. Uh, were just phenomenal, you know, uh, chances that I've been given in my life. Yeah, the uh, we're, we're, we're going to break all this down, but that you had such a long run as a chief of staff and that yeah. you got to work for so many different incredible leaders along the way. Um, man, that's a, that's a great perch to see the way the system works, isn't it? It is, it is. And you're really, you know, the chief of staff is just there to facilitate things. And every every place that I served as a chief of staff, we had a staff of people that were far more talented than me and knew their area uh, and their portfolio of policy items far better than I did. And all I had to do was kind of get out of the way, but make sure that, that everything was connecting together and just moving along. Um, so being chief of staff, is not a bad gig to have when you've got a, a lot of good people around you. And I was fortunate to always have that. But what's inherent in what you just said are, are factors that are, are characteristics that are part of being a good leader. One is humility. <laughs> you know, I always said that I'm going to put my strengths and my weaknesses out on the table. The day that my weaknesses overshadow my strengths, and I'm going to go find something else to do. But I'm not going to fake it. I'm going to, what you see with me is what you're going to get. And it seems like you're very clear on, number one, understanding there's no way you can ever know what there is to know about all the pieces. You've got to have great people that work for you that understand those, those parts and pieces. The other is you have to have great ability to sort of pass the power to them. That, in other words, delegate and, and understand what that's all about. But be able to see the big picture and be able to understand how all the pieces fit together. And uh, and envision that, and and then work with some key people. Like for example, when you, f I guess your first chief of staff job was with the Mississippi Department of Audit. Mm -hmm. Yes, was Stacey that Pickering was auditor at the time, and uh, that was my first chance to to be a, a chief. We had about 130 employees, uh, all professionals, all you know, people that that knew their uh, job very well. He had people like David Huggins that was running the investigations and David had been commissioner of public safety, chief of the highway patrol. Uh, Pat Dindy ran our finance and compliance and Pat had been with the department of audit for 30 years and was a, a, a had written a manual on how local government was supposed to, to function in a legal way. Uh, so again, we, I, I was able to learn, by the people around me, you know, and just had yeah. really good folks that, that knew their job. Well, how, how old were you then? That was after I was state party chairman. So I, I was 31 when I became party chairman. And uh, I, my term ended in 11, and, and I went there in 12. So I was... So you were a young guy I with a lot of older experienced people. Late 30s, yeah. Yeah. Great, great opportunity to, to learn. But I would think that the the mood to 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 work with uh, with uh, Senator Thad Cochran was monumentally important oh, yeah. to you. Yeah, I, I left audit to become his state director, and so we managed all of his state offices, Gulfport, Jackson, and Oxford, and dealt primarily with casework, all the people that needed help with things from Veteran Affairs to Social Security to fill in the blank. 
And uh, Senator Cochran was very interested in that. He, he, he stayed up to speed on the needs of, of people. It wasn't just the things going on in Congress. He wanted to know what was happening with the people around Mississippi and, and who was having trouble navigating the federal bureaucracy. Uh, and then I left and had the opportunity to, to move to Washington and he promoted me from state director to be his chief of staff and was able to work side by side. And I remember having a, a I guess you would say kind of an arrogant view when I went up there, I, I had this thought that I said, you know, I sure wish I was able to do this, you know, 20 years ago, whenever he was in his prime and able to teach me, you know, so much. And, and that was such a, 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 I was so wrong in that because I learned more from Senator Cochran uh, in the time that I was there and I was his chief of staff until he retired um, than, than anybody else. I mean, what a, a he was one time where Mississippi got it right in electing uh, a person. Uh, the, ultimate, the ultimate statesman. And I had such a great relationship with him when I was a publisher of the Sun-Herald. Did you ever attend any of the editorial boards with us when he would visit us no, on the coast? I, I, I didn't go to that. Our comms people normally attended those type of things with him. Yeah. But uh, he was phenomenal. Like I, we were talking earlier, Thad knew how to say the most with the least amount of words of anybody that I knew. And uh, his credibility uh, within the Congress was was just matched by nobody. I mean, everybody respected him. Everybody liked him. Uh, and you were talking about Hurricane Katrina. Uh, again, the hand of Providence was, was very good to Mississippi because we had the best lobbyists in the state as our governor at a time that we needed somebody going to Washington. And then you had Thad Cochran chairing appropriations and uh, and, and together he and Governor Barber, along with the help of Senator Lott and others, uh, really delivered for Mississippi and helped us rebuild from that. Yeah, it was interesting. The one thing about <clears throat> Haley's book, America's Great Storm, that I had the honor of writing the forward to, is that the part that talked about what was happening on the ground here with the governor's commission and all the work that we were doing to you know, create all this information that was being piled into what our ask was going to be, um, uh, Louisiana had just asked for $250 billion. It created this big chilling effect in Washington. And Haley took a much more coordinated, thoughtful approach to saying, well, look, when we ask, we're going to ask for what we need, and we're not going to ask for a dime more. But what he what he talked about in his book about what played out in Washington while the stuff on the ground that we are all aware of, I got a, such a great view into something I had no I knew it was happening, you know, at a very high level. I had no idea how many times he went to Washington, the work that he was doing bipartisan, the role that Barney Frank played. I mean, the whole thing, man. It the magic. It we may never see that again where that many important players in a bipartisan way came to the came to the the help of a community like coastal Mississippi and Mississippi for that matter like it happened then it's incredible we'll, we'll continue that part of the conversation and then shift on to your work with Haley Barber and others along the way so we'll see you after this after this break with uh, Brad White the, the director executive director for M.C. for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. I have Brad White, the executive director for MDOT, and we're kind of telling his story. And when we went to break, we're talking about this alignment in state, local, state, and federal leaders and in bipartisan in a bipartisan way to align everyone around the needs of, of Mississippi after Hurricane Katrina. But the role that Haley Barber played in that is undeniable in every respect. Uh, I was in many meetings with with, the, with uh, President Bush and Haley Barber, and he was deferential, et cetera, et cetera. But man, anytime you were in a room with Haley, he was the smartest guy in the room. And um, and we kind of we kind of sped past your role in the Republican Party, but I should give you an opportunity to talk about about your work with Haley during that time, and then how significant his role was after Hurricane Katrina. Well, uh, this was after Katrina when uh, the party in 2008 was going to reorganize with our local convention, state convention, national convention, and uh, Governor Barber approached me about uh, running for state chairman. And uh, it was the, the best way to run for something because when he asked you to do that and his support was known, I was able to run unopposed. So it was an easy process. But I, I really credit him giving me that opportunity with propping me up to have the chance to do everything else that I did after that. All the chief of staff roles that I was given, uh, my job here at MDOT, I really think had it not been for Governor Barber giving me that opportunity to serve him and uh, the state and, and the role as state party chairman at a time that our party was, um, I think, uh, strengthening our grip on state politics. Uh, I, I just can't overstate the value that that was on my career overall. And, and being able to learn from somebody whose resume would tell you that he should be the most partisan person in the state, but, but he, aside from Senator Cochran, I never was around anybody uh, other than Thad, that knew how to build relationships and work across the aisle and, and build coalitions to get things done. You know, he, he, he cared about results and he didn't let the perfect become the enemy of the good. And he, uh, you know, so it, I was in my early 30s, 31, when I was elected state party chairman. So it was an influential time in my life to, to be around him. And, and he had a phenomenal staff of people uh, that served the state well. Uh, and so to be a part of that team for those four years, uh, it, it meant a lot to me, and, and I owe him a lot. You look at look at the you know you mentioned that the staff the the number of young people that he mentored and where they are today. I mean, some in the private sector doing extraordinarily well, some still in the public sector, but. My goodness, did he have a way of, of attracting talent right. toward him? When, when You may remember when he was first elected, he brought his policy team, basically were young Mississippians. They were about my age, so they would have been in their late 20s in that 04 year uh, that he brought back from Washington. Uh, Maurice Anderson, who's on yeah. the now, that had worked with Senator Cochran. Jim Perry had been in uh, then Congressman Wicker's office. John Ronsville and, and Congressman Pickering's office. I mean, he brought... Uh, talent that had been serving Mississippi uh, in Washington back to Jackson and then put them to work in the state capitol. And and they were a, a, a very talented group and a very effective group of making things happen. Yeah, I have really wanted to, I've really, as part of Coastview and this opportunity to do this show during, you know, in my retirement, 
the opportunity to focus on people like Marie, the role that she played in the policy work that she did working with Haley Barber, and then to see where she is today and the numerous different companies she's involved in, uh, her and her husband, Brian, Brian, the I guess still the executive director of Republican Governors Association, living right there in Ocean Springs and having these sort of nationally focused jobs. But Marie and the work that she's doing today, you know this, the, the work that she's doing today, I think will help define middle America's role in helping get you know, find the Republican Party again. Uh, you know, as we as we search for that, some of the research that she's doing and the efforts she's she's involved in. But very entrepreneurial, political entrepreneur is the way I would describe her today. But she's just one example. Joe Cloyd. I mean, you know, what Joe Cloyd did with his his life after working with, closely with with with, uh, with Haley Barber. I mean, I could go on and on. It just Jason uh, Dean was on yeah. the staff. Jason ended up chairing the State Board of Education and uh, went on to to a lot of great things. I mean, there there was a uh, just a lot of really good people that were, were pragmatic in their approach of making Mississippi a better place. And so we'll never see politics, not just to win elections, but to, to yeah. make a positive difference. And everyone of them did. I think, you know, I, I, I'll say we will never see, but I, I don't want to say it that way because, you know, the future is long. But yeah. we should hope, we should covet, actually, the opportunity to, um, to have another leader like Haley Barber. Yeah. Hey, listen, by the way, the word covet reminded me when he came to the editorial board for the Sun-Herald, I never, I'll never forget this. I, this has never happened before. We had this great editorial board meeting. At the very end, he says, look, I really appreciate the opportunity to be heard today. I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity, but I want to make it very clear. I covet your endorsement. <laughs> Nobody's ever said it quite like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, we de definitely endorsed him and uh, not knowing at the time that that Katrina would hit and we would sort of redefine so much about what we understood about public and private, you know, life. But so anyway, you, as you, as you sort of speed through this, you know, an opportunity to work with, uh, Senator, uh, Cindy Hyde Smith and, and obviously working with Governor Tate Reeves, those were some incredibly important years as well, weren't they? Right. Uh, Senator Cochran retired, uh, Senator Hyde Smith was appointed and she asked me to stay. And uh, she was kind enough to keep most all of Senator Cochran's staff. Nobody lost their job and, uh, and, and was able to set up her office and uh, talk about somebody with a genuine heart for the state of Mississippi uh, and someone that, you know, is, is authentic in every way. And so being able to be a part of her office when it was getting off the ground was a, a phenomenal opportunity. Uh, I knew I, I didn't want to stay in Washington. Uh, and when... Governor Reeves was elected. Uh, he asked me to come back and run his transition, and uh, that gave me the opportunity to move home. And uh, I w was very appreciative of that. But little did we know then that we were going to have COVID and all the other emergencies. Uh, that uh, he had more declared emergencies in the first year that he was governor than I think had happened in the previous uh, two or three governors. I mean, it was a. a, a rough and rowdy time for sure but uh, he, he he led us through that in a very positive way and uh, again it's where providence just saw fit to have the right person in the governor's chair whenever we were going through those experiences what, what's interesting about those times for me is that you end up working as chief of staff for for governor reeves during some very very challenging times for our state and to recall that you started the role that Dick Hall played early in your career, working with MDOT, 
it's almost it's a, it's an amazing thing that it came back full circle again because from the chief of staff role here you find yourself leading them dot i bet you never in your wildest imagination thought that you would be in that chair no and it's probably the only job that i would have left governor reeve's staff to take um i had very fond memories of the department of transportation as a young man working here with just fine people we're talking about katrina a lot of people don't remember that it was MDOT crews with chainsaws and bulldozers and everything else that were clearing Highway 49 and behind them were the National Guard and the uh, Highway Patrol and Marsha Barber. Marsha Barber, right, right. came down, but it was MDOT that cleared the path to get all of the first responders and the necessary people down to the coast. So, I mean, you've got some of the most hardworking, seriously minded people uh, that that really shine of during moments of disaster, you know, ice storms and tornadoes. We've had people that have, uh, you know, lost limbs by, by working in work zones, being hit by motorists that were not watching what they were doing. We've had people that in an ice storm in North Mississippi that walked to work in order to, because they couldn't drive in order to get on the equipment to go out and do what was necessary to, to help treat the roads. We've had people, uh, one employee that delivered a baby on the side of the road that found a lady that was in distress. I mean, it's some of the finest people that you could ask are all collected together in this wonderful agency. And so when I had the opportunity to come back and serve as director, um, uh, it, it was just an answer prayer for me to be given that chance. Well, Brad, I said this many times to people like you, um, and there aren't many like you. Obviously, everyone's going to be different. But if you think about the the experience that you've gained, the opportunity to understand how many times, in fact, when you worked with with Cindy or with Thad, did you have conversations about the role the federal government plays in building highways and bridges and how that process works and the relationship between the states? And, and you got to see best practices from around the country. You were in, you were in a great role to understand the intricacies of infrastructure, weren't you? Yeah, I was I was very fortunate, especially with Senator Cochran, because of his role in chairing appropriations. Uh, we dealt a lot with the Federal Highway Administration and with the Department of Transportation and dealing with their funding and how they were funded. And because of my work at MDOT back years before with Commissioner Hall, uh, I always paid closer attention, I guess, when that would come up, you know. But, but no doubt, uh, when I look back, I think that... I was just very blessed to be given opportunities to gain perspective and build relationships that no doubt have helped me uh, in this role that I have now. There is no doubt that who we are today is the sum total of all these parts, and in your case, the parts really related well to the job that you're doing today and uh, your humble servant role as a leader of MDOT. Anyway, when we come back, we're actually going to talk a little bit about MDOT in this final segment. We'll see you after this break with Brad White, the executive director for MDOT. We'll see you then so shortly. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. Have a, I'm having a terrific conversation with my friend Brad White, the executive director for MDOT. And you know, Brad, I was going to, I was actually going to read the goal of the Mississippi Department of Transportation, but I'm not going to do that. Actually, when you tell someone in a in a uh, elevator what MDOT is, what do you say to them? We take care of the core function of government that is our uh, public transportation system. And, Listen, uh, I'm at. I'm at. I'm at, go ahead. Go ahead and finish. I was yeah. just going to say, we have about 2,600 employees across the state that get up every day to, to in some way or some way, a form, uh, take care of that $65 billion investment and then make plans uh, for the future as well. I met with a major planner up in Charlotte, North Carolina, during my career, and he looked at a map of Mississippi, and the first thing he wanted to know is, do you have a point? And then the next thing he wanted to know is, do you have rail systems, and do you where are the highways? And the point that I was learning early in my career is the, is the role that infrastructure plays in economic development. That cannot be overstated, can it? No, I mean, if they can't get here, they're not coming. And so uh, providing that opportunity uh, and, and being thoughtful and deliberate in the way that we go about planning our transportation system is something that's very important. We're having those conversations now with Governor Reeves. As you know, he's, he's very interested in the economic development of our state and, and being purposeful with how we invest our dollars to take care and to build opportunities, uh, I think, is, is, is critical and something yeah. that we need to be focused on doing. I think one of the biggest uh, changes coming for your agency, are, they're twofold. One is, I think, Mississippi coming to grips with how many needs we actually have, roads and bridges and highways and the challenges are associated with that with limited funding. Um, and the fact that it's a sp currently a special, a special fund agency, which essentially means you have a limited fund that comes to you. And the significant portion of your of your budget is tied to gasoline tax, and with uh, with the world changing as it relates to that, there needs to be major changes in understanding what our infrastructure needs are and how we're going to fund them in the future. I bet you spend a lot of time talking about that. Oh yeah, well, I mean, most all of our budget. We have a budget this year of one point four three billion, of about one point two is basically fuel tax, both federal and state. Uh, so it is, is very important, very vital. And uh, the fuel tax has not been adjusted in Mississippi since 1987. Uh, but with the growth of electric and hybrid vehicles, uh, with the federal government incentivizing that growth, with uh, motor companies going to, to the production of, of electric vehicles more, uh, what we have to begin now doing is having a conversation about how do we want to provide the reoccurring revenue needed uh, to take care of this core function of government, because I do believe that the uh, fuel tax will be unsustainable over time. Now, whether that's 20 years from now or 10 years from now or when, I don't know. But I do know that the conversation needs to start now uh, so that we're prepared and ready uh, to, to be able to continue making the investments needed uh, to maintain the investment that the taxpayers already have. Yeah, you saw. You almost can't wait to have that conversation because it really needs to happen within the context right. of of having the understanding of what the needs are, and the needs are really great, aren't they? They are. The legislature about twenty years ago uh, kind of amended the eighty-seven four-lane program with a law that was titled Vision Twenty One, and it's where they put a data-driven process into what the Transportation Commission has to to do when they're identifying. 
uh, capacity needs around the state, where to add lanes, where to build bypasses, where to add these efficiency measures, if you would. That list represents about $6 billion worth of projects. And while we've got the biggest budget we've ever had, it's still a budget of 1.426 billion. Uh, and when you've got a $65 billion investment that you have to protect and, and rehabilitate and maintain, and then you've got a $6 billion list of, of needs, uh, 1.426 billion doesn't go very far. So uh, I think our, the men and women of the department do a good job in identifying and prioritizing that, working hand in glove with the Federal Highway Administration. Um, but no doubt, we, we could be doing more, you know. And one last thing before we before we end, the three economic stimulus packages that came down gave the impression that over a trillion dollars is going to be spent on roads and bridges, but it's an infrastructure package. By the time you break it all down, I think like $110 billion or some, some number like that actually is being allocated across the United States. It wasn't the infrastructure package we actually hoped for, was it? No, the, the part of the IIJA that was important to MDOT and infrastructure was the portion that Senator Roger Wicker was the lead Republican on, and it was the reauthorization of the five Federal Highway Administration and allowing them to do work. And they do that, Congress does that every five years. And so what we were expecting based on the previous authorization was at least about two and a half billion dollars over that five-year period. And thanks to Senator Wicker's leadership, we were able to get authorized about three and a half billion dollars over a five-year period. So uh, we saw a net increase of about a billion dollars over the next five years. And that has helped us to restart the capacity program and build projects like Highway 57 down in Jackson County that we just let the contract. It's going to be a $212 million project to add lanes and help with that hurricane evacuation route. Uh, so better things are coming because of it, but it's still um, our needs outweigh the resources we have to address it. The next time we talk, we'll talk more about specific projects, but this show has been about you, Brad, and it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you. Incidentally, for someone who drives to the Delta on a regular basis, I'm glad to see Highway 49 done. Uh, I have sped my trip up about 15 or 20 minutes, but it's been a pleasure, my friend. Thanks Thank for your you great leadership. You bet. You bet. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.